Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hello and welcome to episode number 580 of Smart Podcast Trashy Books. Today my guest is Jennifer Armentrout and we are going to talk about her new book, Ball of Ruin and Wrath. We're also going to talk about a polycon, which is almost 10 years old. And heads up, we talked for so long that our conversation is going to become two episodes, but do not worry, there is no cliffhanger. We're going to talk in this episode about the behind the scenes of a Polycon, her launch title for Bramble, and she takes questions from some of you about disability advocacy, living with a visual impairment, and what changes she's seen in publishing. I will have links to all of the books that we talk about and, of course, information about a Polycon, if you're curious, in the show notes at smartbitchestrashybooks.com slash podcast under episode number 580. That is a big number. And speaking of big numbers, hello to our podcast Patreon. Thank you so much for all of the numbers that support the show. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Each episode has a transcript that is hand compiled by Garlic Knitter and Patreon members get bonus episodes and a truly lovely Discord. It would be wonderful to have you join us. Have a look at patreon.com slash smart bitches. And I want to say a special hello to Larissa, who is a newest member of our group. Hi, Larissa. Welcome aboard. All right. I have one more thing I want to ask you about. And I've asked this a couple other times, but, you know, I want to repeat it just in case maybe you didn't hear it. I used to have reviews on Apple Podcasts and now I have none. None reviews. Negative reviews. No, none. Like I have some stars, but I have no reviews. Like no one has any. And I had some. The show is like 12 possible years old. I've lost track. I know I had some, but now they're gone. So if you are enjoying the show and you are so inclined and your thumbs aren't busy and you have a moment, if you would leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you're listening that does review. Not every podcatcher and pod platform has reviews, but if they do and you would leave one for this show, I would be deeply, deeply grateful. I don't understand where my where my reviews went. I have two ratings. I have none reviews. So if you are so inclined, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your time. I'm very grateful. Extremely grateful. And that is all of the talking I have to do before the podcast. Oh, how exciting, right? Let's get started on with my conversation with Jennifer Armentrout. 
Hi, my name is Jennifer L. Armentrout. I am an author. I write uh, fantasy, contemporary, paranormal. I've written young adult, adult, and new adult. Um, I also am the owner of a Polycon, which is an annual event that takes place in Washington, D.C., and we are coming up on our ninth and tenth year of doing a Polycon. Yeah. Wow. Do you ever look back and be like, how has it been? 10 years? Like, how did this happen? You know, I didn't even realize that we were coming up on our 10th year until one of the the staff members was like, hey, next year, 2025 is the 10th year. Because, you know, if you do events, it's like you're planning two years at of the course. same time. It can get very confusing in meetings because you're like, are you talking about this year or next year? What year are we talking about? Um, but yeah, we look back and we're like, Wow, because when we first started doing it, we never anticipated for it to be going this long or for it to become as big. Yeah. As. I wanted to ask you about a polycon. So let's, you know, let's start there. Did you did you ever think when you started it, it would grow and grow and grow and sell out within minutes? Uh, no. I mean, when we first started doing a polycon, it was mostly because, I mean, you've been around in the, the publishing world for a very long time and also around so many authors, you know, that we hate doing signings. <laughs> I've done signings. Like it is, oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, oh, like yeah. You hate it. And you, you know that like, no matter what point you are in your career, there is no guarantee that anybody is ever going to show up. <laughs> Like oh, yeah. You do, yeah. So you're always like, if I'm going to be miserable, I'd rather be miserable with a bunch of other people. <laughs> like, For sure. Like, oh, Absolutely. Yeah. Especially that moment so, where you're sitting at the table and you're just sort of like, oh, yeah. And, and you're just sitting there like, oh gosh, oh gosh. And if you're like me, you know, I'm not, when people come up, I'm like, oh, tell me about your book. I'm like, uh, it's about stuff. <laughs> like yeah. I'm not, I'm never good with that put on the spot. So we decided like, you know, what if we just did a signing um, with, you know, a couple like authors that I knew or, you know, or, or authors that I was like fans of. And I think our first year we did 50 authors um, and it was just a one day event. And I think the signing um, was supposed to be five hours, but I ended up signing that day for eight hours. Oh, great day it, in the morning. Yeah, yeah. For a straight through up until the evening. Um, and it just started off with this is one time thing. But then we realized, because at that time, there were a lot more events, right? There were a lot more 10 years ago. After we did it for like another two years, that's when I realized I was like, you know, I would like to make this a larger event. Um, You know, eventually my goal was always to get it to like a convention status. Um, But I knew that this this is something we would have to do in stages. We would have to grow it very slowly in stages because at the end of the day, the event is a part-time job for all of us, you know. Oh God. Oh, yes. You know, event planning is whew. yeah. And for us to get to that convention status, like I knew that at that point, you know, I would have to bring in like full-time employees really to handle that. And also the event would have to become self-sufficient financial-wise, which I don't think we're ever going to get to that point <laughs> because, you know, it's like a lot of people think that you're when you do events that people make money off them. And that is no, <laughs> you are almost always in the negative at the end 
at the end of it, especially if you have um, staff that you pay. So it's, but it's, you know, I, I do love doing it because it's a great chance to meet readers and to, you know, meet other authors and to hang out with other people, you know, in the publishing world. So it, all the stress involved in it, you know, it pays off in the end. It does. I just did a, a podcast episode with Amanda, who is my co-pilot at Smart Bitches, mm-hmm. And we were talking about the old RT experience and the energy of being around people. Wow. And I said then that, you know, there is something really, really special about the idea of a person who's going to take days off work, step away from all their responsibilities, whether they're caring for parents or, or relatives or children, and they're going to go on vacation about books. That's a yeah. really special energy. And when you create an event where that happens, you get that same energy. So I completely understand the magic of it. And also I've been an events planner. It's a lot of work. It's a lot yeah. of work. And it's sad that like though, when you look back and you think about all the different options as a reader and as an author that you had in the past to go to. Oh my gosh. Yes. Events. Now there is like, maybe three to four like larger events like mm-hmm. that have hundreds of authors at that take place more than one day, yeah. but nothing the size of RT, no. nothing the size of BA book con. Yeah. That was, I remember my first year doing book con. I was like, Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> it was just, that that was overwhelming. That's an overwhelming thing. That's an overwhelming event, but um, you don't, we, we don't have that anymore. And yeah. I think a lot of it, I mean, even before COVID, you started seeing them drop off. It's because it is very expensive to do and it's very stressful. Um, And, you know, it's like you have one bad year. I feel like, you know, you're kind of, you have to weigh like, is this worth it? Yeah. To do this. And, uh, but it is kind of sad a little bit when you look back at all the different, like there's a whole generation of readers who will never know RT. I know. Like (laughs) I I would never know like hundreds of panels that you could go to, you know, like it's just games and you would go home with a suitcase full of books. Like people think I'm exaggerating. No, I would pack a suitcase inside another suitcase because I knew that first suitcase was going to come home full of books. Books were like water. Yeah. And a lot of it was authors you had not read yet. So it was such great exposure. Yeah. And there was a completely different economy behind marketing. Like publishers spent a lot of money promoting yeah. authors and blanketing tables with books and swag. Yeah, and I mean, you're looking at tens of thousands of dollars in easily. marketing. Yeah. And it's yeah. one thing if you're, you know, Penguin Random House or you're HarperCollins yeah. or you're Kensington. It's one thing if you are a big corporation that can create that kind of budget. For authors, for independent businesses like you and I operate, that's a completely different operate. That's a completely yeah. different set situation. Yeah, you're kind of like, am I am I really going to pay for that? Yeah. <laughs> Like that's a that's a lot of zeros. Yeah, of zeros. yeah, yeah. I remember those uh, sponsorship packages. Oh, you would be like, what? <laughs> but I mean, but the thing was, is I will say with RT because it had so many years behind it. Yes, and so many attendees. I can see why a lot of the publishers and stuff said, you know what, we're going to pay for this because. Yeah. We're going to get a, a return on our investment here. And I mean, I, th- I don't know if I could ever grow a polycon to that size where you have Oof. four to five, 6,000 attendees. I need but a if nap I, just it, thinking about it. Yeah, right. I would have to step like way back from that at that point, because I would have to bring in a significantly larger team to handle that. Oh, absolutely. Because, yeah, because it's also a different environment. 
you know, you're going to have to have more full-time dedicated staff to anticipating possible problems that you now may face at events. Yep. What are your biggest lessons from hosting a reader conference? I think the biggest thing that I have learned recently kind of plays off of that is that events have changed and readers who have attended events have changed. Beforehand, you you could just throw some authors in a room and have them sign books and have do some panels and do some cute, fun parties that kind of weren't very like, you know, involved. And that was fine. It's not so much like that now. Um, people really want an immersive experience. Like they, they want, um, it's almost like an amusement park type level. Like you walk into a haunted house, for example, and it's like you are transported into a haunted house. So one thing we've learned is that readers now are, are expecting more. They, they expect, you know, really immersive, um, events. Um, and, and that can be, you know, difficult to pull off. Like, so when you're one thing I've learned, like when you're doing budgets and things like that, like you really have to be careful about where you're spending the money. Yes. Like less money on swag that goes into the goodie bag and more money on making a more lasting like impression for people. Yes. Like beforehand, people loved all the little kitschy stuff, right? And their goodie bags, not anymore. They're going to throw half of that away before they even leave the event. So it's like, it's making sure that we're putting the money where it's going to have the most impact for the the attendee. That's really interesting because that makes me think of the original, like the RT fairy ball where the whole yeah. ballroom was was decorated and there it really was an immersive experience and that, and it makes sense that that is the thing that has come up again, especially if you think about going to an amusement park. Mm-hmm. You think about the design elements of an amusement park. You go into like in um, Universal Florida, you go into Diagon yeah. Alley, you think you're there. You're there, yeah. Yeah. This year at a Polycon, we did the Blood Forest event. So we took a hotel room and converted it into the Blood Forest. So we had um, fan artists create like backdrops and so that we could, you know, cover as much as the hotel room as possible, their hotel conference space. When the attendees walked in, they walked in underneath this fairy lit, like we went um, really hard on that. And this year for 2024, we're doing the Night of the Right. Which um, we're basically converting this like 30,000 square foot space into like three levels um, to get them through. And it's, it requires so much. I had to, we got a detached garage. Wow. To store because what was happening every year with the Polycon, we really had no place to store this stuff. Of course. And some that we could reuse. So we were trashing stuff that we paid, like we bought and designed because we're like, where are we going to put this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I was like, you know what? We need to get like a space that we can store some of this stuff because like with the immersive stuff, like we have life-size trees that we'll bring in. They're not real trees, but they, we get them usually from like Alibaba or something. And they're like, seven to eight feet Yep, and you can break them down, but you can only break them down to a certain point. Yep. And it's like, if we can get someplace to store this, it's going to save us money in a long term. Now yeah, you have the Apolly so shed. We, <laughs> yeah, we do. I put a little sign on it. It was like a polycon. So <laughs> that's the point where we're at. I have a, I have a two car garage. That's <laughs> fabulous. Yeah. And what, and what's and it fits, right? Because the, the trend of, how readers and people are documenting their fandom is incredibly visual now. It's all Instagram and TikTok where there is a visual component that's part of 
being in a thing. So that makes total sense. But on the, you know, on the off season, you need mm-hmm. your poly like, shed. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that because one thing that we did last year or this this year is that, and we're going to be doing more of these next year, is take into consideration that when attendees come, they want to take pictures, but it has to be visual, right? Like yeah. it has to be something that they want to take a picture in front of them, in front of. And one of the things that we found is the companies that do the really amazing balloon displays and the floral displays. So yes. they bring in ginormous backdrops. So we, we did two of them this past year and we just did a walkthrough of the new hotel on Monday. I was in DC. So we're doing it at the Gaylord at the National Harbor. Oh, it, that's yeah. a beautiful property. Yeah, it, is. it is a uh, really big hotel. I feel like I walked in, like, you know, the, the convention space is actually very easy, right? It's actually, everything is together for the most part. But the hotel is huge and you don't realize that until you're walking for your room. Yes. <laughs> you're just like, I was like, I was still joking around. I was like, my soul is still walking <laughs> from the elevator to my hotel room. Like it is so <laughs> crafty in that hotel. But um, we were, I was picking out spaces for us to do more of those big, you know, backdrops, because that's something that readers like to have where they oh, can take pictures yeah. and it's good on um, posting it on TikTok, Instagram. And yep. so that's something that we actually have to take into consideration now too. Oh yeah. And, you know, it's like, you do kind of want to create a bit of FOMO, right? Like yeah. where people who are <laughs> not there are like, oh, I got to come. And I know like a lot of people are always like, why, like, you know, why don't you sell more tickets and things like that? And my, and again, it's like, because things can go bad so quickly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, we do eventually like want to have, you know, I think right now we do about 1500 attendees. That's a lot um, of human beings. That is. And, and that's a lot of people in one space. That's a <laughs> lot of human beings in one location. Absolutely. Yeah. And we we do have plans of growing that to a larger amount. But again, it's like, we got to make sure we can handle it. And then we also have to figure out how we're going to handle signing. Because you cannot, you have 200 and some authors and you think, okay, you sell 2,000, 2,400 tickets, right? How are you going to get that many people through? Mm-hmm. And we do two days of signing. Some people may make it work and may be able to do it. But it's like, how do we do that? Like, that's, you know, that's the thing that we have always keep getting tripped up on is when we think about growing it in the future, it's like how we're going to do these signings. Yeah. It's going to be the most difficult thing to plan is when you have that size of group of people, Mm -hmm. you know, they're not there for every author, but there are going to be many attendees there who are going to want to see as many authors as they can. Yep. And then you have to figure out how do we manage to get that large group of people through an event, but also at the same time, respecting authors' limitations. Like, yeah. They can't be there for 10 hours no. for several days doing this. You know, they, they have their limits of what they physically and mentally can do. Oh, yeah. So it's like trying to figure out that balance between them. And especially because in your career, you have been present for several big trends in romance and in publishing. You were there for New Adult. You were there for YA. You've now there for romantic fantasy or romanticy, as people are calling it. <laughs> and so you've been there through these different peaks. And I, you know, you and I both remember the the big, big signing. If you have wristbands 500 to 600, you yeah. may now get in line for X author. And it was a way of crowd control. It was still impossible to move around. 
And that's what we do. We do the ticketed yep. um, system. And it's still, that's only going to help so much. It's that's No, the, that's and, not a yeah. blanket and solution. That, yeah. And that doesn't guarantee you're going to get to that author. It, you know, all that we're trying to do is to keep 500 people from lining up at one time in yep. one you know, person's line. And yeah, it, 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 it's, a, it's a balance and you have to be able to adapt. So like when something doesn't work, you have to be able to be willing to change the next year. Yep. And, you know, because if you don't, it's going to just continue to continuously go bad. Like, yeah. So, oh, yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it, you're always going to have rust spots, too. You're always going to have things that go wrong. Um, but like the biggest thing is, you know, honestly, being able to adapt. But it, it is exciting. It is fun. I mean, it's it's a lot, but like it's fun knowing that people are going to be happy and they're going to have fun while they're there. Well, I have two things that I want to talk to you about. Congrats on Fall of Wrath and Ruin. Thank you. Yay! It, was it is it really exciting to be the launch title, be one of the launch titles for for an imprint? Uh, yeah, it's also extremely nerve wracking. Yes, <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> when they reached out to my agent and said that they wanted to do this, I literally said to Kevin, "I was like, but what if it sucks? I was like, what if my book completely fails and then I just literally destroyed an imprint? I was like, I was." Because I was not, honestly, I was not going to say yes. I was not going to agree to it at first because I was like, I don't want that type of pressure. Even though I know that the pressure is not entirely on me. For people who know me, I don't like being like, like the center of like any type of attention. I don't like having that type of pressure or stress on me. But then after talking um, to everybody and, and realizing like what they were trying to build and what they wanted to do. I felt like more comfortable with being, you know, because the fall of Rune and Wrath isn't your, isn't your, I don't want to, I, I don't want to use the word average, right? I don't want to say that, but it's not, it's not your t- typical romance. Like it doesn't follow, like you're, you're not going to find certain beats that you normally do. Right. And I was like, are you sure <laughs> do you want to do this? I, I was exciting, but it's, it's a little nerve wracking. I can imagine. That leads me to my next question. What will readers find inside Fall of Wrath and Ruin? <laughs> Tell me all the things. You know, it, it's so hard to talk about these books before they're at, because, out because I am so terrible at spoiling things for people. Um, <laughs> so like, tell I'll me, how like, does the book end, Jennifer? Right, What's the I'll end? Like, and, you know, I'd probably say it. Because uh, <laughs> I'm the type of person who, like, spoilers don't bother me. Because sometimes I just want to be, and I think also it's like I, I have ADHD, and I think some of it is because I like to be able to prepare myself. Like, you know what I mean? Like for what I'm getting myself into, like if I'm going to be like throwing shit afterwards, I need to like mentally prepare for the emotional outburst that oh. may come. When yes. I watch movies with my family, my younger child has ADHD and he'll text me. All right, mom, you looked up the spoiler, right? Absolutely. I did. So we're texting each yeah. other across the room. This is how it ends. This is what happens. Okay, thanks. <laughs> yeah, like it's, and I, you know, and I think some of it comes from like, Again, it's like attempting to little bit control certain things around you. <laughs> like, so it does spoilers never bothered me. It, it is definitely, it takes place in a fantasy world. And, but there are going to be a lot of things about this world that readers are going to start to recognize as they're reading it. And one of my favorite parts of this series is the actual world itself and what it once was. <laughs> And what it is now. And mm-hmm. it, that was, cause that was originally what started this idea. Oh, was the actual world itself. 
I'm just going to use it as an example. It doesn't, this doesn't have anything to do with this book, but it's like when you read or watch dystopian, right? You always kind of wonder, how did we get here? Yeah. Like what happened that this is where we're at now? And sometimes, yeah. Right? And then you realize you're living it and then you're like, shit, <laughs> you're going to recognize some familiar things in it and, you know, of how the world is. Uh, there is a lot of, there's a lot of um, adventure, like action in it. Mm-hmm. Um, the the world itself is broken down into basically districts or courts mm-hmm. and then learning that one of the highborns from the west are basically turning against the rest of their kind and so there it, it's like this mystery of building what is happening and what how does this involve the main characters yeah you also have a lot of steam um there is a lot of romance in it you know lists the main one of the main characters she probably is one of my favorite characters to write because she is a survivor right and you know and i write a lot of badass characters in the sense physical they can fight right but my favorite characters of all time are the ones who have no physical ability to fight because you know why that is what we're normally really like right none of us are out there like with swords and daggers (laughs) taking people down and if you are i I'm now obsessed with you if that's the case, you know, because (laughs) she meant she is mentally strong and, you know, and even, and that doesn't mean that she doesn't have moments of weaknesses and moments of having to deal with other struggles, but she will do anything to survive and anything to make sure the people she cares about survives. Um, And I think that is one of the, the more interesting things to explore than someone who necessarily out the gate knows how to fight. She's had, you know, to overcome a lot to survive. And, it, and it's a hard world where there are very limited options for people who are not highborn and they are not from wealth. And so it's extremely limited options and picking one that isn't going to involve you basically working yourself into an early grave, yeah. which is also, I feel very similar to the world we live in now. Where Just it's- a little bit. Now, I have some questions for you from members of my Patreon community. Um, sometimes when I'm doing an interview, I'll put it like, say, a heads up, I'm doing an interview. And the response to, I'm interviewing Jennifer L. Armentrout was, oh my gosh. <laughs> so people are very excited to hear this interview. But I have some questions from members of the Patreon. One of them is from Clay, who says, I love your books. Mm-hmm. I'm reading Soul right now. I have fire on pre-order. But I'm also interested in how you navigate writing and advocacy and the day-to-day reality of living with a progressive visual impairment. Does it influence how you approach ability and disability in your characters? And second part, if you feel like tackling, do you have any suggestions for libraries or publishing in general when it comes to welcoming and encouraging readers with visual impairments? One of the things I feel like when you're living with something, whether it be like a physical disability or like a a mental, um, you know, issue, like because with me, I do have obviously what's called retinosis pigmentosa, Mm -hmm. which is a degenerate eye disease. Um, I also have, because you have that type of eye disease, it makes you more prone to other issues uh, with your eyes. So I have cataracts in both eyes and then I have edemas that come and go and they won't really remove the cataracts because inadvertently the cataracts protects the retina from sunlight. Yep. So they don't want to remove them until the cataracts become too thick. Yep. And they'll go in. Also, they don't want to mess around in there because, you know, it's they don't want to possibly damage what vision you do have left. And then, you know, on the other side with having like ADHD and also bouts of like anxiety and depression, like I feel like at this point, most people in the world (laughs) 
have those, like, I think that is now like normal behavior at this point. Like we, it's not atypical behavior anymore, but um, with the vision, I used to be able to sit, for example, and be on the computer for 12 to 13 hours and it not bother like my eyes and and not take its toll. But as the disease progresses and I'm very, very lucky people who have RP typically at my age are almost completely blind. I have a very slow progressing form of it. Um, And so much so that when I go to the Wilmer Institute at John Hopkins, that's where I have my treatment at, you know, they always bring in like their uh, students to look (laughs) because they usually don't see someone at my age that still has, like, I don't have much side vision anymore, but I still have way more. um, Yeah. Than Mm -hmm. what most do. I can't sit at the computer as long as I do. So that had, that basically had to make me face reality that I can't write as much as I used to be able to. Mm -hmm. Because what happens is that, and it's just normal eye strain, but like when you do have eye problems, the strain will have more of an effect on it. So one thing that happens to me is twitching. Like my eyes will twitch nonstop if I'm on the, if I'm doing something I should not be doing. And that inside of itself becomes so distracting. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Like, Oh my God, you're like, stop. But, um, you know, another thing that it's made me kind of realize too is to take a step back and remind myself that this career isn't everything. Yes. It's Not, very easy for yeah. it to take up your whole day, right? I have the same yeah. problem. And you know this, when you work from home, people, I mean, and look, I'm not complaining about working from home. I am lucky, privileged, and blessed to do so. The one downside is that you don't stop working. Yes. Thank you. Very true. You have you can't leave this at the office because your office is your house. It is your room, your couch, your kitchen, yep. your outdoors. Like there is no escape from it. And it can be very hard to set that boundary to to be like, I'm gonna stop at five o'clock. I'm gonna stop at six o'clock. And then you look and it's eight o'clock and you did not stop. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so it's it's hard to do that. One thing with this that has kind of helped is reminding myself that this is not the end all, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it's not, it shouldn't be the one thing that takes up all the time. In the Harbinger series where Trinity has the same eye disease I do, the doctor asks her something. And I put that in there because the eye doctor, my doctor at Wilmer had asked me this. He asked me, (laughs) he asked me if I could still see the stars at night. Oh. And I yeah, and I looked at him and I was like, and then I stopped and I was like. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. Shit, I don't know. I haven't looked. And and it was like that realization. 
it's like take you know how that saying stop and smell the roses Mm -hmm. i could not remember the last time i looked up at the sky to see and so i was like i don't know he was like and and they use that because basically that's one of the it, it helps them determine like visual like you able to tell the difference between the how much light can you see and um and that kind of stuck with me because I was like, how do I not know that? Mm-hmm. How do I not know that? And it kind of became that moment of, oh. well, it's, it's all I'm thinking about is working. All I'm thinking about is writing that book, you know, getting a book finished, fixing this book. And I'm so focused on that. I'm not living. And eventually I'm not going to be able to see this stuff around me. Yeah. And that kind of was a bit of a wake up call. So, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a battle to, to remember that. <laughs> yes. Especially in publishing, especially when yeah. you're, when you're both publishing traditionally and self-publishing, yeah. the message is more books, more books, more books, more books. When's the next one? When's the next one? Can you do four books a year? Can you do five books a year? Yep. 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 And I used to, at one time I was writing eight books a year. Have eight mercy. Books. I was writing and seven days a week yep. <laughs> after week after week. 12 to 13 hours it was it, it, never do i recommend that and because you also just run the risk of burning yourself out absolutely like if, um if anything i would tell publishing and li- libraries i mean i think i think um i think um they are getting a lot better now i think there is a lot more awareness that everyone involved uh, is a person yeah. yeah yeah and not just with visual impairments but also with different um, things that people may need assistance with. Um, I do think one thing I am starting to see a lot better on is when you do something like book signings and events and sending you on tours, they are starting to realize that not all authors can do this <laughs> easily and they can't do it by themselves. I can no longer do like airports by myself because I can't see, you know, and it's like, and if you, if, you, if you're not paying attention, right? Like, and you hear something because also a lot of apps are not visually no. Um, friendly. No, even though they claim to have dynamic text, that is a lie. It's like Facebook, you say you have it, you do not have it. Nope. You can't, and and that magnifying option is terrible. That that I can't. That just I cannot just focus on this little circle on this little no. screen. Like that's not helping me. That's just going to make me ragey. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, so I have to have someone who goes with me when I do that kind of stuff. Um, you know, then being aware that I can't have camera flashes because any type of flash of bright light will blind me. You know, I'm like a little gremlin, like yeah. bright light, bright light. <laughs> like, so it's, it, and so I do see where they are becoming more aware of that. Mm-hmm. Also, just becoming aware of that authors can't sign as many tip sheets. Like, like, off, you know, like that's one thing that you're seeing more recently now is the acceptance that, when when our publisher asks us to sign a bunch of tip sheets, we want to say yes because not you're not going to always get asked that, right? No. Like that's actually a good thing. But physically, it, it is it is actually it's very painful. Yeah. <laughs> to, to oh yeah. When you're also typing all day. Oh yeah. So it's like you're now using your wrists in a totally different thing. So, but you are starting to see a lot more um, awareness towards that, and also. I'm happy to see that you're seeing more awareness to towards mental health. Yes. Like realizing that sometimes authors and also authors understanding sometimes their editors, their publicists yeah. have to take a step back because yeah. for their mental health purposes, they have to, they have to take a moment and you're starting to see a lot more acceptance of that. So I'm, I'm really glad to see that. That is a good thing. 
And especially the tip sheets. Like, can you sign 8,000? No, I cannot sign 8,000 pieces of paper. I can barely write a check. I have no hand stamina. Right. And then barely write a whole check. Well, and I think it's because we don't write anymore. No, absolutely not. We don't hand write anything. I digitally sign things all the time. Yep. And so it's like when you're doing them, like I am doing about 4,000 of them right now. And yeah, and it's like, I do them in, in stages. And so what also you're seeing is the publishers realizing that they need to give you months to do these. Yes. Like, you know, instead of dropping them on you and being like, you have a week to get these done. So that way that you can actually break this off. And a lot of people are probably like, oh, what? It can't be that hard. Yes, mm-hmm. it can. <laughs> <laughs> then I challenge you to sit. And write and your name. Because it's not, because you're going to mess up your back in the process if you're like me and cannot sit right. Yeah. It's, you know, but also it's like you have a life too. Like, yeah, you're starting to see a lot more publisher awareness towards that and also community awareness. That's people good. People are starting to be more accepting of that. Varian asked, um, says, I'm a legally blind author who's still learning to navigate writing and the internet with my changed site. Is there any writing software you've found to be easily accessible and effective? I think this is an area where we could use some improvement in. There aren't that many options that I find are actually very user-friendly or easier to transition into. So when you are in the process of losing your vision, depending on where you're being treated at, there will be programs um, at that facility that can help you transition so that they start to teach you different skill sets. Um, also, I think there is a bit of kind of like in a way of coping skill sets where, you know, this is going to be something you're going to struggle with. So this is what you're we're going to st- try to start you to get you doing this this way when you still have vision. Right. So that's not such a shock. Like a pilot yeah. warning you, yeah. we're going to have yeah. turbulence in yeah. about an hour. Yeah. Yeah. And so prepare. And, but there still isn't very much available mainstream. Mm-hmm. Now, when you're at places like Wilmer, which is like one of the leading eye institutes, they have access to things that are, that should be available to, to everybody. Like, like voice dictation services, they're actually really good, <laughs> that, that are easy to use. Um, and I hope to see in the future more of that stuff becoming available. Because especially you, you have different varying degrees of blindness and some people who have eye diseases or disorders, they don't need to use like a dictation service all the time. You know, it's something they got to be able to easily move in and out of. Um, one of the services that I do know is available that I do think is probably one of the best is dragon mm-hmm. dictation. Yeah. And so I have, I struggle with dictation services just because that is not what I know. Mm -hmm. And so I force myself, um, to do the, to, to like at least a couple times a week to do it. Yeah. Um, because I'm like, I have to, I have to learn. And and it is, it's really learning a new skill set. It's really, it's like learning. I would say for me, it's like learning a new language. language. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Because I don't, I don't think that way. I don't create that way. Yeah. I don't create speaking. It's writing. Yes. And so it's like, I have to switch that somehow. Now I do use Scrivener as a writing tool. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I do like that because I can change the colors. That's something that has helped me is inverting 
anything that was originally white to black and anything. Uh, and then the words I make gray, like I don't do the stark white. Um, that helps a lot. Yeah. And also, I mean, my zoom on my computer is like insanity. It's like 270 on font 18, I think. Um, and then on the web, it's like font 24 is the minimum font. Yeah. And believe it or not, and this is going to sound silly. It took me a long time to make myself do that. Because I wanted, like, I only, I can't even, and you know, I, what I went to college for and what I worked in before I was a writer is the field of psychology. And I can't even figure out, like, why I was so resistant to changing these things. And I, well, actually, I can. I think, I think it's because it was acknowledging that I was losing my vision. Like, I could, as long as I wasn't seeing, because your mind and your brain, is amazing at how it adapts without you realizing it. I, you are born with RP. So it steadily progresses throughout your life. I've always worn glasses and I would, I had, and I would have these weird symptoms, right? These weird things. And, but I wasn't noticing them because as my, my side vision was shrinking, I was adapting by turning and looking, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And so you, it's like your, your brain starts to get, you learn to do other things. So you don't realize that this is happening. And I think as, as silly as that is, like I was making my life more difficult (laughs) by not increasing stuff, like changing how I was working, because I, I think mentally it was acknowledging because it is a scary thought, like, you know, because you're like, eventually this is going to go away. How am I going to do this? Yeah. You know, what is that going to feel like? And so it was like acknowledging that. So, but I think for me, it was that, but also learning um, dictation services. And I think you said she was fully blind. um, I believe legally blind. Legally blind. So so she probably has, yeah, vision left. Um, I mean, she may not, uh, but she, if she hasn't started to do dictation or he hasn't started to do dictation services yet, um, definitely start that now. Yeah. Because it's build those muscles. It is very hard to do. Oh yeah. I know when I'm writing it, this is going to, I mean, you're a writer, you're going to understand this. It sounds like sometimes it's like, I'm listening to a very, very quiet voice in my head when I'm coming up with what I want to write, whether it's nonfiction or fiction. And I can't have music with lyrics. I can't have any other Mm -hmm. words competing with what I'm trying to listen to including my own voice. So I've always been like, okay, well, I know from recording, for example, I'm very used to the sound of my own voice. I edit my own voice. And I know that the software sounds different than me because the sound is actually echoing in my head, which creates a different sound, which is why a lot of people hate the sound of their own voice. I I don't (laughs) know if the sound of my own voice would disrupt me writing because I've never tried it. And I'm like, yeah, that's probably a muscle that you have to develop. And one of the things that you have to work on, and which is even more difficult for me, is you cannot really ramble. And I, <laughs> well, rambling, ramble, right? I ramble. And you can't do that when the shit is detic- you know, dictating everything coming out of your mouth. So it's like you have to where, you know, I can, I don't ramble when I'm typing, but I am when I'm talking. Oh, so for sure. It, so it's, that's the part that is the biggest struggle because you have to learn when to stop it. And, yes. and so like, so yeah, it's, I was like, I'm a mess yes. when I'm doing that, but that's the best advice I can give. That's wonderful advice. I mean, self-editing when you're writing is a very different thing than self-editing while you're talking. 
Like none of us have that one second delay on our mouths yet. Right. It's (laughs) like you have these bloopers that are just captured. (laughs) Yep. Forever. Yeah. And then you like read, like I read the transcript of my own like conversations verbatim before editing. And I'm like, wow, I just go. Just talk. It's like like somebody, I need an adult to be like, Jen, stop. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have any books that you are reading that you want to tell readers about? I'm actually, I'm actually going back and reading, um, and I always say her name wrong too, Kerrigan Brian Byrne. Oh, Kerrigan Byrne. I'm rereading her Victorian Rebel series. Ooh. And yes, I do love those books because those books actually remind me of, as an updated version of the old school bodice rippers. They are, I feel like the closest to that, but updated. Like where they are absolutely old school you know, style. Not as eek. <laughs> no reading them. So I've been reading um that, but also I am in the process of reading um Kit Rocha's new fantasy that comes out in November concert of fire, I think. Yes. Me it's yes. The, it's the I think they call it the dragon fucking book. Yes, yes. <laughs> That sounds just like what they, um, and it is, um, uh, it is, it is very, um, I mean, it's not like dragons fucking, um, but, <laughs> um, it's, it's really good. It, it is actually very, I mean, they're great. Like I, I have been reading them since I think it's, what was it? Beyond shame. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Probably. Um, and, um, it, it's really good. It's very exciting. If you like badass heroines and mysterious you know, supernatural men, and you also like female, female, this is going to be the book for you. Um, so it has a lot in it. It's very good. I think it comes out in November. Uh, November 28th, it looks like. Yeah. So it, it's very, very good. And, and we were, uh, I was talking to Brie and was joking about like, it was going to be like, uh, I forget what she said. Something like, uh, you know how they do hot girl summer, but she was like, it's going to be spicy fantasy fall or something. I don't know. <laughs> it was funny. She said it perfectly and it made me laugh because they are, they are amazing at writing spice. Like they, it, if people haven't read them yet, um, Kit Rocha, they, they go there. Oh, yeah. But they go there with care. You know, I do think there are some issues with like fetishizing certain things in the romance community that you don't say women tend to do mm-hmm. in some books. And so you don't see that. Like there is a care there. There is, you know, I know that we have the male gaze. There also is like the female gaze, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, and sometimes the female gaze also has its problems. Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it, it's, so it, they do with care, but in, in there, but it's still extremely hot reads, but also like, you know, there's, there's a plot there. Yes, there, there is. is. There's absolutely a plot there. So it's like you're not just you're, you it's a you're reading it for both reasons and you're getting what you want. So um I would tell people to definitely pre-order that. It's coming out in November. Where can people find you if you wish to be found? Um I am usually on Instagram. Um I do have a reader group on Facebook called Jay Landers. Um oh, What a great name. Yeah, <laughs> Jay Lay Justice League of America. Uh it's but uh, it's uh, I, 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 I do have a thread account, but I forget that I have a thread account. I forget that, that I have other accounts. I'm like, oh, yeah, I should go yeah. look at that. But that's pretty much all I'm really on. I, I haven't done Twitter in a very long time. Um, I don't do TikTok mainly because it's not it's not friendly to the visually impaired. You can't see anything like you can't. I can't see what I'm typing. I can't see posting. So um, I, I, I kind of I don't do that. So those are the places they can find me. 
And that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Thank you so much to Jennifer Armentrout for hanging out with me. As I mentioned, this is going to become two episodes. I have a whole other part. And we talk about a lot of our favorite, favorite fantasy and historical romances. So we're going to take a little side trip into history in a future episode. I'm really looking forward to it. As always, I end with a truly terrible joke. And this joke was inspired by Toku Nation on the Dad Jokes subreddit, which I love. Are you ready? This is really, really bad. I didn't even put this in the Discord, I don't think. I don't think I've shared this with the Discord. I think this is this is just, this is brand new and everyone is going to hate it. All right, are you ready? What city has the unfortunate record for the most dropped waffles on the beach? Give up? What city has the unfortunate record of most dropped waffles on the beach? San Diego. <laughs> I can hear the groans. I can hear them in the future. You're all like, oh, yeah. I love that one. Thank you, Toku Nation. Oh, good, 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 good. Bad, bad, bad. On behalf of everyone here, we wish you the very best of reading. Have a wonderful weekend, and we'll see you back here next week. Smart Podcast Trashy Books is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. You can find outstanding podcasts to subscribe to at frolic.media slash podcasts. <laughs> San Diego. <laughs> if you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit Juvederm.com.